And the time to start, if you're not living your dream, is right now. Start setting goals and setting out where you set in the course of your life and setting it all up so that you get somewhere in the future. When all that comes together, something happens called fulfillment. If you are not experiencing awesomeness in every aspect of your life, it's just from an internal block or barrier disconnect that you've chosen to take on. Life is as easy or as hard as we want to make it. And I got my hands and my eyeballs and my heart around any information I could around holistic healing. And that led me down a never-ending rabbit hole of which I'm still spelunking into the depths of. I needed something like ayahuasca to really wake me up because I was very rigid and very stuck in my ways and very structured and controlling. And my first ayahuasca ceremony cracked my ego in a billion pieces. And uh, that's when I believe when you when we really follow our deepest truth, when we really follow our soul, when we really follow our true calling, the universe rises to support us moment to moment to moment. Welcome to the Holistic Health and Human Potential Podcast. I am your host, Ronnie Landis. I'm an international speaker, author of multiple books, an integrative nutritionist, a transformation and embodiment coach, and simply a man who has devoted most of my life to the study, application, and integration of human potential. And it is my biggest inspiration to bring you weekly episodes that will expand your mind challenge your paradigm, deepen your heart, and help you to embody the greatest version of yourself as I believe you are meant to do something incredible with your life and this podcast exists simply to support you on that journey. Greetings everyone out there. Welcome to another edition of the Holistic Human Optimization Show. I am your host, Ronnie Landis, and today I am joined by a very special and esteemed guest, Dr. Udo Erasmus. And this individual is truly a legend and a pioneer in the holistic health and nutrition world. And I've actually been following his work for Um, almost 10 years. And I was introduced to his work by, you know, just I think he wrote the tome on the book around fats and all the different kinds of of fats and the whole conversation of fat, really, dietary fats, specifically um, fats that heal, fats that kill. And that book for me, when I got into the field of holistic health and alternative nutrition and raw food and superfoods and all these amazing things and really dove deep into it, um, that was one of the books that came up on my radar and uh, really changed my entire perspective on the conversation of fat. It's an interesting conversation. It seems to be an endless rabbit hole, so many different opinions and perspectives. And, um, you know, I'm just excited to dive into not just that, but really dive into more of the the cornucopia of your work, the broad spectrum, what you've been up to since that book. And since that work, I know that we can't just segue your work just in one particular niche of the diet world. I know there's so much more that you're focused on. So um, I'm really excited to have you on. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, I'm glad to be on. It's always nice to get an amplifier for message. And it's nice when people are interested in what I'm interested in. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. I know the feeling. And um, so I'd love to, to begin the by just having you share your personal journey with us, you know, how did you get started in the health field and what inspired you to begin doing the work that you've, that you've now done for many decades? I will tell you two stories. 
The first one has to do with oils. And later on, I will tell you the bigger story because what I'm doing now has, has uh, moved on from fats and health. But I'll tell you the first story that led to fats. I, uh, I went to the University of British Columbia and I studied science. And uh, I came out of the Second World War in Europe. So I was a refugee kid when I was two years old. And life was pretty chaotic. Couldn't trust anybody. Uh, people were upset. People took it out on the kids. It was not a really easy life in, in the beginning. And because I didn't know what I could rely on, I studied science to try to understand how things work. Then I went into biosciences to understand how creatures work. Then I went to psychology to understand how thinking works mm. and eventually ended up doing self-knowledge because, because that got me a handle on how I work. And I had done that uh, for many years. And I was always in, I was really, honestly, I was always interested in everything. That's part, that's, that's really beautiful in a sense because it's always exciting. But it was also difficult because I never wanted to cut off any of my options. So I never made a decision about what I wanted to spend my life doing. And I, you know, in the process of all of that, I, I went out to university and then I got into the 60s and traveled and lived on communes and tried some drugs and mostly the psychedelic ones that deal with, you know, the, with the internal world, which was very interesting to me because it's one thing to see your face in the mirror, but it's a totally other thing to be present in your own life. And what does that feel like? And what does it look like? And what does it sound like? Mm. What does it taste like to be present in your own life? That's a whole other conversation we could have. But then I got, and then I got married and we had three kids and my marriage broke up and I wanted to kill something. So I took a job as a pesticide sprayer and I was really good at it, but I was also really careless. And after three years of spraying pesticides quite carelessly, I got poisoned by the pesticides I was spraying. And I went to the doctor and said, so what do you have for pesticide poisoning? And she said, nothing. And that day, that moment, I said, oh, shit. If my health is actually my responsibility. And if I don't take care of it, maybe nobody does. If I don't care about my health, maybe nobody does. And it kind of was like, well, I only get one body. And that body, there are principles and components of making that body work and making that body serve you for as long as possible. What are those principles and components? And I began to look into the journals, the research journals. They had 600,000 research studies that then be published on, on health and nutrition, disease and nutrition. And I didn't read them all. It would take 25,000 pages just to print the titles. 20 per page, right? So huge amount of work that had been done. And so I started going into the journals and I ended up looking at oils because they were the most confusing area. Mm. And it turns out, and I didn't know that when I went to university because everybody was interested in, in DNA, RNA, and protein because the code, the genetic code had been broken. They could figure out how it worked and then they could... You know, so everybody was interested that nobody was interested in lipids, you know, fats and oils, because there wasn't this elegant principle 
that govern genetics and then how proteins are put together and the ribosomes and all of that. So that was all my professors didn't like lipids. And so I didn't like them either. But then I started reading and I realized the essential fatty acids, which are the nutrients from fats or oils that we cannot make but have to have to live and be healthy, that they are the most sensitive of all of the nutrient molecules on the planet. And they should get the most care in order to unfold their benefits. But the truth is we give them the least care. There's nothing we throw in the frying pan and turn into smoke. We do, and we do that with the most sensitive. So they're damaged by those processes. And when they're damaged, they turn into something that came from nature, that life made a genetic program to work with, turn into something that never existed in nature, for which, therefore, life never had to make a program to break them down or to get rid of them. And so what then happens is they accumulate, they get you inflammation because the immune system said, what the hell is this? And then it tries to figure out what to do with it. And it's very slow to get rid of them because they'll come off out of your skin and they'll come out with the, you know, your, the, the inside of your digestive tract shedding all the time. And maybe you can sweat a little bit of them out and maybe the liver, but, but some of it is like messy stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, and when you put them in faster than your body's able to get rid of them, then you obviously they're gonna they're going to accumulate in your body, and you're gonna have get uh, symptoms from that because they don't belong in the body. They take up space in the architecture of the body that other things should be there, and then they can't. Other things can't do their job, and then something in the body begins not to work so well. And then you do that for five or 10 or 20 years. And then you get cancer and you say, well, how, I don't know. I did everything. I, you know, I, I eat well. And how did I get cancer? Well, yeah, after 20 years of, you know, and the oils, when I, what I realized, the big thing that happened when I was reading, I learned that when oils are made the way industry makes them, they're treated with Drano, with window washing acid, they're bleached, and then they're heated to frying temperature before they go in the bottle, before anybody buys them. And about 1% of the molecules, half to 1% of the molecules are damaged. If you got, if you, it's damaged 1%, you know, I said to the oil chemist society, I called their scientists and said, why do you do this? You know, it does damage to the oil. Why do you do that? They said, well, you know, it's only 1%. And, you know, if it's still 99% good. And if you got 99% on an exam, you'd be damn happy, wouldn't you? So I I was, you know, when I was in genetics, I got 100% on my exams because I was in love with the topic. Mm. So I wasn't as impressed with 99% as he was. But then I thought, well, maybe I'm overreacting. So let me, you know, let me do the math. So if an oil is 1% damaged by industrial processing, this is before you fry it, which creates lots more problems. But in the bottle, before you fry it, it's 1% damage. One tablespoon of that oil. How many damaged molecules do you think you might find in it? One tablespoon, 14 grams, 1% damaged. How many damaged molecules do you think you might find in that? It's a question for you, Ronnie. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around it right now. Yeah. So mostly people tell me, oh, 100, 1,000. Uh-huh. If they get really daring, they say a million, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. actually 60 quintillion. 
<laughs> so you're talking about 60,000, three more zeros, 60 million, 60 billion, 60 trillion, 60 quadrillion, uh, 60 quintillion. It, it, and, that it, is, and that is uh, if your body has a, um, it's a, it's a million damaged molecules for mm. every one of your body's hundred trillion cells. See, wow. I actually, I did that wrong. Yeah. It's a million, more than a million damaged molecules for every cell in your body. And that's in one tablespoon. Most people use two to four tablespoons. They also put them in the frying pan and damaging them a whole bunch more by light, by oxygen and heat. Right. And a million, and we learn in genetics that if you want to change gene expression, you only need two molecules for a bacteria, maybe for a human cell, which is bigger. Maybe let's say it's a thousand, but you're getting a million. You're getting a thousand times more <clears throat> than what you need to change the way your genetic program works. Well, do you think that would make a difference? Uh, the yeah, right. Mm -hmm. And in fact. More health problems come from damaged oil than any other part of nutrition because of their sensitivity, because of the damage we do, both by industrial processing and by food preparation, and more health benefits from making the oil change that your body makes away from the damaged oils back to oils that are made with health in mind. Mm. When I did that math, I had a, an epiphany. And by the way, I, that was in 1980 when I got poisoned. 1981, it was established that omega-3s are an essential nutrient. Yeah. That your body can't make, that you got to have. If you don't get enough, your health goes down. If you don't get enough long enough, you die. And if you bring it back in adequate quantities before you die, all the problems you get from not getting enough are reversed because life knows exactly what to do with them provided you make sure enough of them land in your body so that life can do its job, mm. right? That's the definition of essential. So that was established a year after I got poisoned. And I, when I heard about that, I said, oh, my God, we're going to make oils with health in mind because they need that care, and we're, I'm going to do that. And it wasn't that hard. I grew up on a farm. You know, we tinker with machinery all the time. So it wasn't that hard to do it. It just... You just, I just had to know that we have to protect them from light, oxygen, and heat. And then you put them in a glass, and then you put a box around it, and then you keep them in the fridge, and you keep them in the fridge at home, and you put them on food after it comes off the fire. Mm. You do not use it for food prep. Mm, mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. so, so, and then how much? Tablespoon per 50 pounds of body weight per day is optimum. And you find within a month, your skin becomes really soft and velvety. It took me four times as long to burn in Hawaii from sunburn as it did when I didn't have the oil. Yeah. I actually measured it, and I did burn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, was, I was done for, for how much sun I can handle, and then my daughter wanted to go snorkeling, and I couldn't say no to her, and I got cooked. <laughs> <laughs> right? But so you get a lot better sun protection if you have enough oil for it to make it to your skin. Your energy level goes up because they increase oxygen metabolism, so it takes you longer to get tired, and you recover quicker. Injuries heal in a third to a half the time. Your, your brain works better. You notice that after a few months. And your mood goes up because they're, they're, the body actually makes, out of omega-3s, 
it converts them into a whole bunch of different things. And one of them is called endocannabinoids. So, so protein and omega-3s make cannab cannabinoids. They're the receptors in the brain that when somebody gets high on marijuana, that THE, THC uh, occupies, and then you get high. Well, you can get high without cannabis. Your body's actually made to get high, but you need omega-3s to get uh -huh. it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? I mean, yeah, that's, that's, new, that's pretty new research. Yeah. They also improve immune function, and they also uh, um, lower most <clears throat> of the major cardiovascular risks, risk factors, decrease inflammation, make bones stronger, uh, good for joints, both the, 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 the movement and, and the healing of joints and the less inflammation. Literally, the research says when you increase omega-3s in your diet, provided they're not damaged and they're not toxic, you can improve virtually every major degenerative condition of our time. Very useful, very important in pregnancy because mm -hmm. a mother has to build two brains. Brains are very rich in omega-3s. And if she doesn't have enough omega-3s in her diet, then the, the, the unborn child will take it from her brain. Right. When women end up getting baby brain, they call it sometimes, they get postpartum depression or low energy. We worked with animals. We had, we had dogs that had litters where the mother was too tired after getting birth to look after the, the, the babies. Mm. And when we, put, when we gave them the oils, they had bigger litters and they had lots of energy. Uh, also good for hair and nails. Um, good for vision. I think they're also good for socialization. I think there are some socialization circuits in the brain that work better uh, when you have enough omega-3s. And we tested that in England with uh, uh, kids that were obnoxious and couldn't go to school but had to stay in school by law. So they put him in a different school, and all they did was fight. And what they did is they heard about the oil. They gave him a tablespoon. I would have given two or three, but they gave a tablespoon. Nothing happened the first month. Nothing happened the second month. And in the third month, their incidents of violence that they had to interfere with because it was going to be bodily injury mm -hmm, mm -hmm. went down from 84 to 16. Wow. And after that, the, the, the violence in the, with the kids in that school stayed down around there. And then not only that, but when new kids came in, it used to be the old kids would beat the crap out of them. And now after this had happened, when a new kid came in, the kids in the school helped them adjust to the new school. Wow. So, and, they would, and they did no counseling. They were not teaching them any classes. All they did was they give them a tablespoon of Udo's oil, and that's the result they got. It was like 42 kids in the class. Mm. And I and and I hadn't. There's no re, there was no research on. It. And I said, you know, there must be socialization circuits in the brain that when they're deprived of essential omega threes, our socialization is not that good. Now we could give. Uh, we might. It might be a good idea to give this to all the politicians <laughs> in various countries, yeah. and they might actually do something together to make the country work better. Right. So not only for criminals for behavior, but also the criminals that run the government. Right, right. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. You know, you make some very interesting points, Udo. Like, there's so many things that I could actually touch on. Um, 
the endocannabinoid perspective is really interesting. That actually just recently came on my radar through a mutual friend who's in the DHA industry. And he brought that to my attention because I've been yeah. into CBD and, and that whole research. So I find that very fascinating. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I thought was fascinating, which brings up another point I want to talk to you about, which is this idea of accelerated glycation end products that we're pretty familiar with, like in diabetic circles in particular, which is one of the, one of the biggest like age associated issues. Um, but then I came across many years ago, a similar concept revolving around lipids or oxidized rancidified fats, like accelerated lipolytic end products, right? And the the end products of the fats through metabolism that have been rancidified, have been oxidized, are creating corrosiveness um, in the the body itself. That's right. Kind of that basic idea. But I would disagree with that a little bit. Okay. And the main reason why is like, I understand the glycation end products. And again, it's when you cook foods, right? Especially when you fry foods, the starches and the proteins react and you get all kinds of crazy molecules that life never made a program to break down. When it comes to the oils, they don't go rancid in the body Mm. because they fit into that molecular architecture fairly well. And if you're eating foods that have whole foods, especially plants that have antioxidants, they protect you from that. The mm. body actually makes very powerful antioxidants and anti-inflammatories out of the omega-3s that are the most sensitive of all of those uh, oil molecules. So where the damage comes from is not that they go rancid in the body, is that they got wrecked yeah. during, during processing and, and food preparation. And a lot of times the problems that people blame on foods should actually be not be blamed on the foods, but should be blamed on the processing mm-hmm. that damages the foods. And if you look at it, you know, you talked about raw foods at the beginning. Every creature in nature, life's mandate for every creature in nature, fresh, whole, raw, organic food, locally grown, sun-ripe, in season. Right? Right. Every creature eats like that, except for us. You know, they're... There's a hint there. Mm-hmm. Maybe raw food is not a bad idea. Right. <laughs> because when you, you process them, you lose some of the nutrients, you wreck some of the nutrients, you know, you change stuff. And so the idea of eating the foods the way nature made them, whole food, mostly plant-based, it's not, there's no doubt about it anymore that that's how you get the longest life and the best of health. The meat was for warriors. This is in India. Mm. The meat was for warriors. It gave them strength. It gave them power. It made them aggressive. And they tended to die relatively young in comparison to the, the, the teachers who, mm. who were on vegetarian diets. Mm. And I've done, you know, I've done all of that. I spent part of my life as an untouchable. And then I was a warrior. And then <laughs> I was a merchant. And now I'm a trying to be a teacher, I, there, may, there might be a hint of wisdom in my, that I've collected in my life. And as I've grown older, I find that I do better on more plant-based whole foods. And I eat a lot of them raw works very well for me. And, uh, you know, but it takes time to adjust to that. So I didn't do that overnight. Mm. And I've just basically headed in the, in the direction of more plants because I still like 
some of the things that I used to do when I was younger, they don't like me as much. And they let me know. And so I'm just paying attention to what my body tells me because I'm, I'm relatively present in it. So, um, but yeah, there's a lot of damage that's done by processing and by food preparation. Do you know that the cooks in restaurants have four times more lung cancer than normal people? Yes. Because they spend their whole life in front of the frying pan. And normal people do too. They spend part of their life in front of the frying pan because everybody fries. But cooks do it so much more. And because of that, they have four times more lung cancer. Mm -hmm. And it's probably the fumes of the, of the burnt oils are the, the, probably the primary reason for that. Yeah. I mean, 400% more, four times more. Wow. You know, so if you're going to be a chef, be a raw food chef. Totally. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And I want to, I want to just bring back to the point that you, that you had mentioned about the, the, um, the oxidizing of the oil. What is it? Is it before it enters the body? Is it after? So that, that's actually a good distinction because, um, there's, there's a few different perspectives. And one of them, I guess, is like, okay, the oils are very volatile. They're very heat sensitive. We have digestive acids. We have stomach acid. So do we need to shield the oils in something like astaxanthin or is that, is that, is that a necessary thing or, um, or, or does our body already have a protective um, kind of mechanism for when the oils come in? Well, it, okay, it depends on what you're saying. First of all, if you've damaged them, Astaxanthin will not fix it. Right, right. And if you've damaged them, taking a fish oil capsule will not fix it. And the fish oils are even more damaged than the cooking oils. So, so you have to prevent the damage by not wrecking them in the first place. Mm -hmm. And then, yes, there are, there are many antioxidants like uh, astaxanthin, but bioflavonoids and terpenes and and anthocyanidins and so there's a lot of different molecules that have antioxidant which is protective properties of the oils and you would get those from foods when they're in their natural state mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that helps because the two work together but the body also makes antioxidants out of the oils themselves ah. so you have a situation where the most sensitive of your nutrients the body actually converts them into their own protection and kind of, when I saw that, I had an orgasm. It's <laughs> like, who came up with that? How, how cool is that, right? So, um, so, but but the idea that you can that you can throw a supplement at something you wrecked in your kitchen, right? That'll take care of it. Is actually a dumb idea. Mm. It doesn't work like that. Don't wreck it in the first place. Eat the way nature made your foods. Yes. That's the way you're going to get your best health and your best protection. And in those foods, with the way nature makes them, the antioxidants are in the seeds that have the oil. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? So they come with that. And then your body also makes antioxidants, uh, uh, some of them out of, out of the oils, like I just explained, but then also some water-soluble like uh, glutathione, but glutathione is water-soluble, so it's not as effective for dealing with oils. You want oil-soluble antioxidants for the oils, and out of the oils, the body makes those. Mm -hmm. So very, very interesting. 
Okay, yeah, that's interesting. You, know, you have to remember, like, it took uh, life has been on the planet, according to the researchers, for 4.3 billion years. Mm. So, this experiment of life that nature undertook or the universe undertook, I don't care how you, how you, how you phrase it, but is an amazing experiment. And anything that didn't work got recycled. Mm-hmm. And so the reason why it works so well, and I'm sitting here like I got all this shrubbery and trees and green stuff and flowers outside my window, right? <clears throat> and garden in the back. And, you know, you look at the whole planet. It has so many different creatures on it and a huge number of very successful creatures. All as a, an ongoing experiment, the present result of an ongoing experiment that's been going on for 4.3 billion years. And in that experience, in that experiment, anything that didn't work, uh, at least early on, got recycled before reproduction. And the moment that happens, then all its genes are gone from the gene pool. Mm-hmm. Mm. We are the successful end product of a very long line of successes and what i say to people don't fuck it up now (laughs) right yeah right yeah Mm -hmm. you know because honestly what you've what you've inherited being a human being is unbelievably amazing Mm. unbelievably amazing Mm. that's um that kind of opens up an interesting conversation because my suspicion over the years in terms of health and longevity, wellness in general, really has a lot to do with what we're here to do in life, you know, being on our mission, being on our purpose. Like, what is that that soul signature inside each one of us? What is it calling forth? And then how can we get in alignment and get congruent mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually with that calling? Yeah. And I just really always tuned in to this conversation around longevity. And I just kind of felt like the, the secret, if you will, the alchemical code of, of longevity has a lot less to do with the pharmacopoeia of chemistry. And it has a lot more to do with the, the alignment of one's, I guess, sole purpose or why they're here. And then, then the diet, then the lifestyle are kind of supporting cast. They all come in to support right. that. But, but it's like, what are we here to do? And I want to kind of bring that point in because you bring up this really interesting idea is that we are the inheritors of our ancestors' dreams and their hopes and their desires and their aspirations that they could not live out in their short time span and it gets transferred over to us. And so now we inherit kind of that responsibility. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that takes me to the second question. So let me tell the story. I came out of the Second World War. And I was a refugee kid when I was two years old. And we were fleeing from Poland, which was then part of Germany, where I was born, to West Germany with the, with the communists chasing us in tanks and trucks and the allies shooting at us from planes. I don't remember, remember too much of it other than the fear and the anxiety and the terror and the, and the, and the chaos of it. Mm-hmm. And when I was six years old, I was in Germany, and I watched adults argue about really trivial stuff. I thought it was trivial. I was six years old. I thought it was trivial. And get really get into it, and just like yell and argue and, you know, shake their hand, fists. And, you know, and I thought, 
God, there must be a way that human beings can live together in harmony. And I'm going to find out how. And that, that's what draw, has driven my entire life. Mm-hmm. And at one point when my mother asked me, uh, asked me to, to uh, move her dahlia bulbs, and I said, Mom, I don't see that as the purpose of my life. She said, I thought she would be mad. She said, oh, what do you see the, as the purpose of your life? I said, I'm going to make sense out of how fats affect health. Then I'm going to turn health into a systematically organized, teachable, consumer-friendly field. And then I'm going to do the same thing with human nature. Wow. And that's basically is my track. So what I've done out of that, I told you all the education I got from that. uh, And what I just finished uh, very recently is a book called The Book on Total Sexy Health, The Eight Key Parts Designed by Nature. And in that book, what we've talked about oils, are two-fiftieths of one-eighth of human nature. So it's a very, it's a very important, it's the most important physical uh, nutritional part, but it's a very small part if you look at the whole picture. And the way the whole picture goes is, number one, in the core of your being is an awareness. Within that awareness, there is no content other than peace. Mm. And I'm talking about not peace as an absence of war, but peace as a positive experience. And to get to it, you have to sit still, get quiet, bring your awareness inside, relax, let go as deeply as you can. And when you're able, when you learn how to do that, and it takes practice to do that, you will discover that there is a peace within you And that peace is actually not just within you. That peace is already everywhere. The entire universe unfolds in that peace. It is as big as space or bigger. And in that place, that is your foundation for everything. Mm -hmm. Out of that comes the break of, of awareness into energy, matter, space, and time. Mm. Mm-hmm. The part that we're not clear about, because we know about time and we sort of know about space and we know about matter, but in terms of the energy that is life, the energy within us, that's the second part. And you can see that, hear that, feel that, and taste that energy. Our senses uh, actually measure energy, right? That's what our senses are for. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. But inside of us, we can bring our, if we know how to bring our awareness inside, our focus inside, we can actually, and in that, in that energy, that energy, by the way, is what all of the masters talked about, whether it's Buddha or Christ or Krishna, they talked about that energy. And basically what they said, they didn't say it in those words, this is my words for it. They basically said, you are not a human being. You have a, hu- a, a human body for a time, and no matter how well you treat it one day, that's going to end. But what you actually are is the light that runs that show. And that light weighs nothing, is invisible unless you can bring your awareness inside, and runs everything. 
You separate that energy from your body, the body's done, right? And alive means with life, right? When you are alive, you have a body with life. And when you have a body without life, you're not there anymore because you go with the life. You don't end up with the body. The awareness and the consciousness and all of that goes with the life, does not stay with the body, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. just like observation you can make. So, and then if you pursue the, 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 the master in you is your life, right? When you get in touch with that master within you, 8 billion people could live their lives lit up from within because the light's already there. It's a matter of looking into it instead of looking away from it. And in survival mode, we're always looking away from it. What's mm-hmm. out there coming at us? Instead of, you know, and we don't need to do that because we are so safe these days, most of the time, that we could actually cultivate the fullness of human existence, just like the master. The master life in you is the same master that we talk about in in all the religions. But the religions don't teach us a way to get in touch with the master. But if we're in touch with that, we're lit up from within. We feel so taken care of because life has taken perfect care of every one of us through dramas and traumas and circumstances and change, perfect care of us. And we will feel so taken care of that we don't want to steal other people's shit. Mm-hmm. And when we stop stealing other people's shit, we can live in harmony. <laughs> and when we live in harmony, it's just a small step to make sure that every human being's basic needs are met. Mm-hmm. because the planet is rich. The issue is not that there isn't enough. The issue is that people feel so discontent from being disconnected from the life that takes care of them that they will hold on to things that they don't even need, like extra money and extra food and extra things, because they fear that if they gave away what they don't even need, they would be even more discontent. And the moment that that issue, that central issue of discontent from disconnection is addressed, then it's like you're sitting with somebody, they don't have food and you got more than you need. You say, yeah, why wouldn't I give it to this person? I know what hunger feels like. Right. But why wouldn't I do that? Mm. Because then it's not about, you know, if you have more, you're going to be more. No, because when you, when you get to... When you get to being with present in your own life, you actually have everything, mm-hmm. right? And, and then it, all of that becomes really easy. But it's because we're trying to do it, we're trying to fix the symptoms, we never get to the cause. You, you can't fix the symptoms without addressing the cause. The cause is our disconnection through our senses. Like when in my mother's womb, I was in that little Buddha space, floating around a little tank, right? In a Buddha space. Mm. Nothing to do, nothing to worry about, everything taken care of, protected. So I was safe. And so I was, I was just hanging up. My awareness was at rest inside in life. Then I came out into the world and now I had to get to know the world. And through our senses, we go out into the world and we end up going from being present inside and absent outside in our mother's womb to be present, being present outside and absent inside. 
And the, the disconnection from present insight is where the ache of the heart comes from, is where the restlessness comes from, is mm-hmm. where the longing and the yearning and the discontent come from. Because when we are not present in our, ourselves as well as the world, then there's always going to be something missing. That, And we're geared that the ache of the heart calls your awareness back home inside. That's the whole point of it. It's not about the girl. It's not about grandma dying. Mm. It's that, that the losses on the outside remind us mm. of our original loss on the inside, the loss of our connection to ourselves. Yes. Which is why, which is why I say voluntary solitude, very important. Mm. That you eat and you go to the bathroom and you put on your clothes and you take off your clothes. One of the things every day that is really important to do, spend some time only being present with yourself. Try to be fully present in all of your being and discover how incredibly magnificent it is to be alive in human form. Probably in any form, but I'm a human being, so I don't know what it's like to feel what it feels like to be a tree. And when you do that, then you also begin to see the purpose of life that we began this with. What is the purpose of your life? Number one purpose is that you get in touch with the magnificence of the gift you were given Mm. and experience that to its fullest. Mm. When you do that, you also have more to give. Giving is secondary. And this is not selfish because you got given the gift of life. And if you don't experience that gift and make the most of that gift, nobody else can enjoy it for you. So it's actually ignorant not to enjoy your life. And when you make that your starting point, by the way, all the masters said that thing too, right? When you're fully present in all of your being, you can help other people be fully present in their being. And there is the biggest purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a meeting with a master once. It's a long story and I'm not going to tell, but there was a message, a being made of light and a message, but the message was not in words. I could give the words to it because light has no lips and doesn't speak English. Right? So the message was, I am come not to judge, but to love. Mm. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. Okay. But then that that's true for this as well as everything on the outside. So we are, we are light. We are love. And I'm not trying to be airy fairy, hippie, hippie dippy. You know, we're talking about light, sunlight, energy. You know, we are that. Yeah. And that awareness we can have. And we're here to love, not to judge, not to destroy, not to, but to, to care for life. If, because life is the only big treasure on this planet. There's none on the moon. There's none on Mars. Why the hell would we want to go to Mars with the, with the environment that is so uh, uh, harsh, right? Right. Instead, care for what we got here was all given it is amazing and 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 that's our nature our deepest nature is mm-hmm. just to enjoy be fully present in our life and then be fully present in the world and care for life care for life support life you know help help in whatever way you can to make life incredible because literally this whole planet could be glowing 
with light and glowing with care and glowing with kindness and glowing with, you know, peace. Mm, mm -hmm. Because it's all there. It's all there. We have, we have all that. We're wired for that. It's not like, oh, we got to learn this thing. Oh God, it's so hard. No, we're wired for it. We just got to come home Mm, mm -hmm. and live and then live from home. Well, beautiful. Yeah. Beautifully put. Um, I feel like, um, I feel like potentially maybe the key to longevity, so to speak, along these lines is actually taking care of your own home, you know, so to speak, like really like, you know, because one of the things you had mentioned was this whole idea of like, why are we going to go to Mars when we have such a beautiful planet that we live on that we have always lived on and you know it's kind of like this idea of the grass is greener obviously in that example it's clearly not right but it's like it's some kind of weird thing in the the psychology of the the human condition where it's like we try to get out of discomfort without and maybe we put a band-aid on something and try to pretend like it's not there do we try not to actually remediate the situation so but, we can distract ourselves yeah. without actually taking care of the what's what's ailing us. Well, in my opinion, it's just our, the stupidity the stupidity that results from not getting present in our own life and right. always thinking we need to go and do it out there. And we do 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 so much. I say, you know, if you keep do 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 doing, you're going to turn into do do. <laughs> when you when you get into being, mm. it, in a way, it's like we do way too much. Mm-hmm. we could do way less you know and i know people are driven and all the people that do the 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 motivation and all of this stuff do 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 whatever it takes push 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 right no, and what i'm saying is no the first thing you need to do is stop doing anything and get present in your own life and then there's a flow that is much deeper than the motivation a flow of life that is that is conducive to living in harvard mm-hmm. that's already built into us mm-hmm. right and uh, hmm. and uh, so so you know that when people are driven to outside accomplishments, is they're not doing their homework. Mm-hmm. You can f- it's fundamental. It's that fundamental. If they were doing their homework, they say, "Oh, you know what? There isn't that much to do." But let me do a little bit here, and you know, got to make sure people are you know you're fed, and you you go to the bathroom, and you look after your house, and you know. So there's a few things to do, but there's way less to do than what we. You don't need to make. $60 billion. <laughs> well, what are you going to do with that? Right. And if you want to help people and say, oh, I'm going to make a lot of money so I can help people. Why don't you help, it? Why don't you help people now? Right. Old lady across the street, right? What, what, what do you need to do? You know, play with your grandkid. You know, like I have a grandkid who's one and a half. It's like delightful, mm. right? Just, you know, sweep, sweep your stairs. You know? <laughs> mm. you know, it's not like we got to do big things. It's like, but we could experience big things. Uh, Nothing. Being the janitor, not being the CEO. It's all the same. Every human being. The, the poorest people in sub-Sahara Africa have the same magnificence inside of them that the richest guy living in a penthouse in Manhattan has. Mm. Life made everyone equal. Life put the same value in every human being. Right, and sometimes poorer people have more of that heart than rich people because the more money you make, the more you shrink your heart. That's mm-hmm. what the research says. 
Wow. So poorer people actually give more than richer people. And when you say, well, I first I'm going to make this big thing, this big money, and I'm going to every going to be famous, and then I'm going to give something. Give it now. Give it you now. Know? It's not, there's nothing that money will do that heart will, won't do better. So if you give a lot of money without heart, it's going to be destructive. And if you give money with heart, you can use it constructively. But if you have no money and you give heart, you're just as constructive. Wow. Yeah. So money is a good servant, but it's become, it's become the goal. Mm. And I say you either work for life or you work for the bank. Mm. If you work for life, you will sacrifice money for life when necessary. If you work for the bank, you will sacrifice life for money when necessary, necessary if push comes to shove. Right. That's when you know for sure. But honestly, it ain't about money. It's about enjoying the gift, and it's about helping other people enjoy the gift as much as you can. Mm-hmm. And you can't take them further than you've gone yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's, it's not, you know, in that sense, it's not complicated. And we have a world that's wired for a message, and this is the message. Yes. It's about life. It's not, it's not the economy, stupid. It's life, stupid. It's a, you know, mm-hmm. you know that, mm-hmm. that political thing? Yes, yes. And politics is always about the money. They're always talking about the economy. You, you know that trees are rich without having any money. Yeah. And animals don't need banks, right? And so when, 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 when people tell you, politicians tell you about the economy, oh, my God, it's going up, it's going down. They're only telling with, when they tell you about the economy, they're telling you how the banks are doing. They're not telling you how you're doing. Right. They're not telling you how the citizens are doing. And frankly, some of the best times have been the worst times uh-huh. economically because then the neighbors start talking to each other. People don't have jobs. You know, uh, you know the grass still grows and, you know, the, the amount of stuff that they had to do that we have to do in order to survive is not that great. It's not that mm-hmm. big. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? But, but, but it would be nice to have a measure that talks about how people are doing. Well, like suicide is going up apparently, right? Well, that's how people are doing. That's a measure of how people are doing. Mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with the economy is growing, but people are more anxious and more concerned and more fearful of the future than they've been for a long time. Yeah. And it's all manufactured. And it's manufactured because so, so rich people can make even more money. And they're, out, they're all working and they're working for the banks. I, you know, somewhere, somewhere along the line in the, all of that, there's some wisdom missing. Mm-hmm. And it's, not, it's not in line with, it's not in line with living, living a whole life. Mm-hmm. You know, the masters were not rich guys. But the head terrorists are rich guys. You know, the people, the, the wars are always done by rich countries. You know, they hire poor people sometimes to, to, to run the wars. But the idea of having wars and destroying life is a rich man's idea when they get too bored with having too much money and the money <laughs> making them happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's making them content. I don't know. This is, the, you know, it's like you you look around and say, wow, you know, we're surrounded by, you know, I have everything. Mm-hmm. What am I complaining about? Right, 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 right. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like the, um, this is, that's actually really interesting. 
I feel like the the habit, the compulsive habit of complaining and and everything else that comes along with it is actually what ages us. Like yes, I, energetic perspective. Yeah, actually, there's there's good research that shows that people who meditate live longer. You they, you actually in meditation you can you reverse aging, you reverse aging. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm 76. I still run around like a kid. You know, it's, and it's, it's true. And, but I also do that every day. I spend some time in that awareness every day. I spend some time getting in touch with life. Then there's inspiration that comes out of that. Then there's the body. So I do both activity and food and do it, try to do it in line with nature. Mm-hmm. Then there's social. So th- that affects your health as well. Then your environment affects your health. And then your big picture, how you are, uh, with living and dying as a small creature in a very big universe, mm. all of those have a bearing on health. And if you want to, to be, if you want to live in total sexy health, then you got to give each one of those eight arenas its due. And mm. they're all different. They all have a different function. They uh, all have a different nature. They all need a different kind of attention. They all need attention on a regular basis. Each one goes off in a different way, and each one responds to a different kind of intervention. And ultimately, it's about living in line with, with nature and your nature, where you're going to get the optimum lifespan, but also the optimum experience of whatever that lifespan is going to be. Because you, be, you could have a long lifespan and be miserable the whole time. Right. What, the, what would be the point of that? Mm-hmm. When, um, to conclude our, our conversation, this has been amazing. And it's interesting because you've answered a lot of my questions in a roundabout way that I had originally. So I didn't have to ask a lot of things. Yeah. Um, but the last thing I want to I just kind of get your take on is after all these years, what, what are some of the, what is one or two or maybe three of the, the really powerful insights that you've had around health that you may feel that most people in the world are missing? Well, okay. I, you know, I took a year of medicine too, because I wanted to learn what health is and they call it healthcare. And in within three months, I realized medicine is only about disease. So I thought, well, maybe they teach us health later. So I went to the Dean. I said, what is health? He said, we don't know. We're working on it. And the problem is they're not working on it. They study disease. How much time do you need to study disease before you know what health is? What I did is I left medicine and I went back into biological sciences because in biology, you study what it is when it's working. Mm-hmm. You're studying normal creatures and all the processes in normal creatures. In, we're, we're talking the physical stuff, of course. So health is not the absence of disease, just like peace is not the absence of war. Health is a presence. And when that presence it has, uh, it has principles and components, when we get out of line with those, that's when we get sick. Mm-hmm. So fundamentally, our illnesses, whether they're social or environmental or physical or mental or, or emotional or any other uh, way, is about living out of line with nature and our nature. And the cure for all of that is living in line with nature and our nature. 
And that's not very complicated. What does it mean to live in line with your nature? Well, you've got to be present in it. Right. You've got to be aware. Like if you had cancer and your, your body was ready to check out, the light in you would not be sick. The awareness in you would not be sick. There'd be so beyond cancer. That is not even funny. The electrons in your body, the protons in your body, the atoms in your body, and the molecules in your body, none of those ever get cancer. Cancer begins at the interaction of molecules. So you get the wrong molecules in there, you're going to get wrong interactions, and then tissues change, and then you start to get cell growth that is abnormal, and you get tumors that are abnormal. You know, but even the atoms in the tumors and the electrons in the tumors are not sick. So fundamentally, even with the worst disease, there's still a lot in you that is healthy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you supported what is healthy in you instead of trying to fight what is sick, you know, then then that would probably lead to a cure for cancer. Not probably. It would, you know, it's like we these are incurable diseases only until we know how to cure them. Right. Right. And, and so the, we have the whole system backwards. You know, we're always looking at what's wrong instead of looking at what's right. We bitch about the problems instead of being gratitude, being, being grateful for life. And we do that on every part, on every part of those eight parts of nature and human nature. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. The problem is we're looking at it wrong. We need to look at it right. You know, my question is like this. How long? Do I need to look into darkness, which is absence of light, right? How long do I need to look into darkness before I know, before I understand the nature of light? Mm. Well, it's never going to happen. How long do I look, need to look into disease before I understand the nature of health? How long do I need to look into war and destruction before I understand the nature of peace? Well, it's never going to happen. If you want to know what health is, you've got to study health. Not right. disease. If right. you want to know what light is, you not need to look into the light. If you want to know what peace is, you need to study peace. You know, and because we don't do that, then we redefine and say, well, you know, if there's no bullets flying, then that's peace. No, that's not peace. That's a ceasefire. So we need to start looking. We need to focus on what we want and give that our attention and elaborate that instead of giving what we don't want our attention. You know, if you have a, in, in the world of the masters, I think it's really interesting. In the world of the masters, the master gets, gets the attention. So a bunch of people come to him, they shut up and they listen. When we do therapy, psychotherapy, let's say, right? Speech therapy, the people who got the problem do most of the talking. Well, there's, there's something wrong with that picture. Because if the, everybody who's got a problem is willing to sit down and shut up and listen to someone who doesn't have a problem, maybe there are going to be some hints there about how not to have any problems. So we ought to give the guys who don't have any problems our attention. Mm. Right? And it doesn't matter which field you look at. But what we tend to do is we're always about what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong. And honestly, the world will shift when we all start asking what's right, what's right, what's right, what's right. Right. And it's based on, what is it based on? Awareness, life, 
inspiration or creativity, needs of the physical body from nature, social, environment, big picture. Mm. What does that look like when we're in line with it? That's where we need to be aiming, aiming at. Mm. Fantastic. Beautifully said. What a way to conclude this, this yeah. conversation as well. Um, wow. It's almost like I don't even have, I mean, you just said you kind of like concluded it and laid it out so perfectly and brought it together in such a nice little bow tie for everyone to really to, to take in and take in the, the present of this presence and this gift of life. I think that was kind of the underlining message of this and also bringing in a lot of interesting scientific information um, around essential fats, which is something yeah. that, you know, you're so well known for. So I'd love for you to share a link or website that people can go to. Um, you have your own company, Udo's Oils, which is quite famous. Yeah. At this point, so, Udo'schoice.com. Okay. And Udo's Choice uh, official is uh, Facebook. Also Udo Erasmus, uh, Facebook. And uh, we're also on uh, something else. LinkedIn, is, I think, is Udo Erasmus. I'm not hard to find on the internet. And I... I I, I do quite a bit of interactive stuff. It's, it's fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing I'd like is uh, to get the link so that when you're done with it, uh, then uh, I, I'd like to post it and, and so other people can listen to it. Absolutely. Maybe one or two or five people will listen to it. And I, think we'll have, I, think we'll, I think we'll have a few more than that, but yeah. Okay. It's a let's good. Say, well, let's say twelve. <laughs> as many as possible. It's always nice. The world is wired for a message. I think this is part of the message. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining me and joining us and bringing your wisdom and your knowledge and your experience and your heart to yeah. this conversation. Um, you know, it's just really an honor and pleasure for me. So, thank you so much for joining yeah. us, Pluto. Same honor for me to be able to do this, and I appreciate you. Uh, having me on. Thanks, Ronnie. I hope you enjoyed this fascinating episode of the Holistic Health and Human Potential show. Before you head off, I want to invite you to go to my website for further podcast episodes and tons of free content on holistic health, natural nutrition, and human potential. Please go to www.ronnielandis.net to find out how to take your health and your life to the next level. And also, I want to encourage you to leave a five-star review for this podcast on our iTunes page, which will help me in my mission to get these inspiring messages to millions of people throughout the world. I thank you so much for your support, and I look forward to continuing to provide amazing conversations and content on holistic health and human potential.